Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather together to consider your word. Jesus, you are our cornerstone, our solid ground. Jesus, help us to hear this word, understand it, apply it, obey it. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's great to be in worship with you all. And I want to welcome all of those who are watching the podcast as well. Hey, if I haven't had the chance to meet you before, my name is Daniel Triller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Always love being in worship with you here. Well, hey, I thought I'd start by sharing a humbling moment I had recently, and I'm trusting there are some out there who have experienced this one before. I threw up my back a couple weeks ago. Here at church on a Sunday morning, kind of one of those can't stand up, can't walk, Lord have mercy, kind of throw out your back. Now, at first, I tried to rally and walk it off. You know, I wasn't ready to admit defeat quite yet, but all I could do was get myself hunched over a railing. And one of my coworkers passed me by, didn't say anything, didn't really think too much of it, and later told me she was thinking, oh, how nice, Daniel must be praying. I mean, you better believe I was praying. <laughs> Whew, not my best moment. Hey, now what I can tell you is that throwing at your back or really anything that's going to have you laying in a bed for a couple days is going to force you to do some self-reflection. You know, like, am I making good life choices? Do I need to do more core work? Yes. Am I heading in the right direction? <laughs> You know, these are the very kinds of questions we've been thinking about during this sermon series we've been doing called Bucket List, where we've looked at some of the things that Jesus did in the final days leading up to his death. You know, how did Jesus spend these last few days? I mean, what was on his bucket list? And how is that going to impact the way we live our life? Because Jesus made some pretty interesting choices, did some pretty unusual things, and one of those things is the story we just read, where we see Jesus clear the temple, he's shutting the whole thing down. And this is just a wild story, right? I mean, put aside any preconceived notions you may have of Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild, as if he spends his days painting happy little trees with Bob Ross. I mean, this is just the opposite, right? Just the opposite. You know, I heard one pastor say that for Jesus, this was his Chuck Norris moment. And now we're going to talk about what made Jesus so upset. We're going to figure out what he's trying to communicate as he clears the temple. But first things first, we got to talk about the temple. And so here's what you need to know about the temple in one minute or less. You know, the temple is where a faithful religious person would go to worship. You know, it's where you went to be in the presence of God. But there's slightly more to it. Because the presence of God was specifically in a place at the center of the temple. It's called the Holy of Holies. And you couldn't go in there. Because you can't have unholy people in the presence of a holy God. That's just not going to work. I mean, yes, God is love. Absolutely he is. But he's also holy. And a holy God can't be in the presence of unholy people. But there was one person who could go in there, though. And it was the high priest, and he could go in there once a year. And to go in, this high priest had to enter in with an animal sacrifice, a sacrifice on behalf of each individual that could cover over the sins of the people. You know, effectively saying, this animal stands in my place. It died the death I should have died. And that's what we need to know about the temple. And so with that in mind, go back to our story here. A religious person, they would be offering regular sacrifices throughout the year. They would need to get the two things hinted at in this story. You know, one, they got to get a hold of the temple currency, and two, use that money to purchase an animal that could be sacrificed. And here's the problem. It's that those who are running this whole temple operation are making it very difficult, borderline impossible for people to worship and be in the presence of God. And so here's what I mean. First, there are the money changers. 
you know, you've got to exchange your currency for some of the special temple currency and then use some of that to pay the temple tax. You know, so from the start, you're already in the hole. And so it's kind of, sort of, not really like exchanging your dollar for the euro anytime this past decade. You know, secondly, you've got to purchase a dove. You know, and you're definitely going to want to purchase that dove inside the temple because your sacrifice is only good if the animal doesn't have a defect. You know, and shoot, if you travel with an animal, it might get eaten, it might get scratched, it might get, you know, might fly away, this dove. I mean, have you ever taken your pet on vacation? I mean, this is no small feat. And so you'd want to buy your animal in the temple. But now what's the possible consequence here? What can you do as a business when you've got control of the market? Well, you can jack up the prices. You can charge a small fortune. I mean, folks, this is exactly why your hot dog at Safeco Field costs eight fifty. <laughs> location, location, location. And so we've got this notorious dove monopoly going on here. Bet you never hear that phrase. And the sellers are taking advantage of the system. And so Jesus says to these guys, you've made this place a den of robbers. And so this is really, really bad. But it's even worse than that because these guys, as the passage says, they're selling in the temple courts, the temple courts, the one place in the temple, the one place that the foreigners, the people who don't know much of anything about God yet want to worship God are allowed to worship. You know, these foreigners are trying to pray and worship and be in the presence of God, and yet they're distracted by all the commotion surrounding them. And so you can imagine, they're trying to pray, and all they can hear is a guy who's telling them from the corner, I've got a two for ten special on doves. You know, that's why Jesus also says, my house will be a house of prayer. And so to recap, those who are selling are, one, robbing the faithful religious Jews, charging a fortune as they try to worship God in the way they've been instructed, and two, making it virtually impossible, making it painfully difficult for the foreigners, the newcomers, to worship and encounter God for possibly the first time. I mean, this is so, so bad on so many levels. I mean, this is egregious. And so understandably so, Jesus is not just going to stand by passively and let this whole thing unfold. No, 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 no. And so he's flipping over the tables. You've got money scattered across the ground, doves flapping in the air. He clears out the temple. You know, people who say they believe in God are making it difficult. They're putting up barriers for other people to worship and experience him. And so it begs the question, y'all. It begs the question. You knew this turn was coming. You know, in what ways do we, you and I, make it difficult? You know, in what ways do we create barriers for other people to worship and encounter Jesus? You know, especially in the context of church. You know, especially in church because this story takes place in the temple, the equivalent of church in Jesus' day. And that's a question that all of us need to think through honestly at some point and answer for ourselves. You know, in what way do we get in the way? But for this morning... I want to flip that question around. You know, instead of framing it in the negative, I want to frame it in the positive and focus on what we can do because ultimately I think that's going to be more helpful. You know, so how can we as Christians make it easier? How are we going to clear a path for people to worship Jesus and experience him for possibly the first time here in the context of church? And it's worth mentioning to you all now that much of what I'm about to say is for those of us who have been here for a while, you know, but for those of you who are new, I think it's important for you to hear who we as a church aspire to be. 
And so first things first, when we think about how to make it easier and clear a path for people to worship Jesus, we've got to talk about good old-fashioned Sunday morning hospitality because it's that important. You know, we see this throughout Scripture. One of the things we're called to practice is hospitality. You know, one verse even says, pursue the love of strangers. And so not surprisingly, one of the things we continue to learn is that for young people in particular, a warm, friendly, inviting community is more important than the actual worship service. For them, they say, warm is the new cool. And now, I confess I've been slow to realize this. You know, when I led our high school ministry last year, I always wanted to believe, I always wanted to believe, and I confess this was very selfish of me, but I wanted to believe that when it came to youth group, the most important part of the night would be my talk. But it rarely, if ever, was. You know, instead, it's the 10 minutes before and after youth group. You know, really simple things like, did I meet the students who are new? You know, do I remember their name the following week? You know, did I remember to follow up on how their lacrosse game went that they told me about the previous week? You know, that stuff matters. And now my sense is this whole warm is the new cool dynamic isn't quite as strong for adults as it is for students. But I think it's far more true than we let on. So folks, here's the bottom line. If you are feeling like this sermon is relatively mediocre so far, Just be sure to mingle and get to know some folks after the service, and studies will show that you will be glad you came. (laughs) But let me ask you this. What do the first 10 minutes look like for you after the service? You know, who do you talk to in the lobby or the parking lot or in the connector? And y'all, there's nothing wrong with talking to the same folks week after week after week. You know, that's one of the best moments you can have here at church. You know, those moments where this place feels like home, these people feel like family. I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, of course, keep doing that. But for those of you who are feeling this way, this church feels like home, these people feel like family, how did you get to that place? You know, who were the people here at church that helped you get to that point? And how can you do that for someone else? You know, honestly, I think I understand the common objections of why we don't do this. You know, some of us are busy. You know, we've got places to be. We've got people to see. You know, some of us feel like we already have our people we need and, and then some. You know, we've got all the friends we need. You know, I heard someone once compare friendships to a parking lot. As in, I'm sorry, there are only so many places and the lot is full right now. Or maybe some of us think, you know, honestly, one of the things I love most about Bell Press is that I get to be anonymous here. And all those who would like to remain anonymous said amen. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. But y'all, we're not necessarily talking about a lifelong commitment here. You know, it's just simply saying, hi, welcome. Great to have you this morning. You know, it's helping people find their way around the crazy maze of a place. You know, it's acknowledging someone new who's been sitting in the row you always sit in. You know, it's helping those who might benefit from the elevator find the elevator. You know, it's opening the door, offering an extra hand to the couple with three kids who find themselves playing a little zone defense right now. Y'all, imagine you're coming to a church for the first time. You're skeptical. You're uncertain. For whom a church lobby, the room of people you don't know who are making small talk, is the scariest social situation imaginable. You know, what if we were people who made folks feel right at home? You know, just as if you were hosting at your own place. You know, think about how powerful that would be. 
Y'all, we talk a lot about how we as followers are called to go out and be the people of God wherever he calls us to be. But what about those moments where the people out there come here? You know, let's not miss that moment. I mean, let's welcome people in and make it easy for people to worship Jesus and be introduced to him for possibly the first time. So hospitality, that's the first thing. And here's the second. You know, another way we can make it easy and create a path for people to worship Jesus and experience him, and you are never going to see this coming. This is so blatantly obvious. We can invite them to church. We can simply invite them to church. And now maybe this feels too forward. Maybe this feels like classic evangelism. You know, I think it's worth mentioning that this one depends on the person. You know, do we have a relationship with them? Do they trust us? Do they know intuitively that we are for them? But go with me here. You know, sometimes I wonder what our non-Christian friends, the ones who know us and trust us, are thinking in our silence when we don't invite them to church. You know, are they thinking, are they trying to be polite? Is this a special secret club that I'm not invited to? You know, am I not good enough or holy enough to make the cut? Y'all, what is it that keeps us from inviting people to church and what are we implicitly communicating if we don't? One of my friends I used to work with in ministry recently wrote an article called Why I Don't Invite You to Church. And he said it comes down to three reasons. One, I don't love my church enough. As in, I'm not really sure if I want you to meet my people or see what a Sunday morning looks like there. You know, maybe I would be embarrassed if you joined me or I question whether or not my church has anything of value to offer. Two, I don't know if I love Jesus enough. As in, I'm not really sure I love Jesus enough to take the time to tell you about him. Or I don't love him enough to risk the embarrassment or the fear of rejection of you saying no. Or three, I don't know if I love you enough. As in, I'm not really sure I believe deep down that following Jesus is to your benefit, either in a practical sense in your life right now or from an eternal standpoint. And y'all, it's probably worth saying, I don't know if this is an exhaustive list, and I'm not even sure if the premise itself is 100% fair. But my goodness, that's convicting. You know, I've been trying to think through what my reason is, and I think it's that I often let my fear of rejection my false sense of politeness overcome my love for Jesus. And now how about you? You know, when you think about your neighbors, the people you work with, the people you grew up with, what's keeping you from inviting them to church? You know, what might be the reason? And you all, we don't have to be eloquent or persuasive. I mean, we can simply say, hey, do you want to join me? Do you want to come with me to church on Sunday? Maybe we can grab lunch afterwards too. You know, really the most important thing we need to do is to be sincere and speak from the heart. I recently read a magazine article from GQ that highlighted a prominent young pastor from New York City. And now for most people, the most interesting part of this article was hearing about how Justin Bieber was baptized in a pro basketball player's bathtub, proving once again that truth is really stranger than fiction. But yet even still, I was most intrigued by a different part of the article, the part where the woman who wrote this article is agnostic she interviewed this pastor. She describes how she herself was personally impacted getting to know him. And this is what she writes. He is so worried for my own soul, and this should annoy me. But instead, it touches me. Because maybe I'm worried about my own soul, too. And she goes on to say, how can I fault someone who is more sincere about this one thing than I have ever been about anything in my life? 
That last line is so fascinating to me. How can I fault someone who is more sincere about this one thing than I've ever been about anything in my life? Y'all, I am confident that there are people out there who'd be saying essentially this exact same thing. And y'all, maybe this sounds, you know, this whole idea of inviting people to church, maybe this sounds too self-serving, too institutional, but y'all, at its very core, the church isn't an institution. At the very core, the church is about people. You know, community of people on mission for God, a group of people who are called to gather and scatter, who come together on Sundays and go out in power to live for him for the rest of the week. Y'all, it's about people. And, if, and y'all, if our highest value, if our highest value is to see people worship and experience Jesus and we believe that's happening right here, then why not? And sure, maybe you'd feel more comfortable. Maybe you'd feel more comfortable sharing your faith rather than inviting them to church. And maybe you're scared to have that conversation in person. Both are completely understandable. You know, Jesus can move in people's hearts in all sorts of different ways. Y'all, years, years ago, I heard a story about a strong Christian woman. I'll call her Mary. Mary worked as a nurse in the Boston area, and she had a coworker that she wanted to share her faith with, but the time was never quite right. You know, she was nervous about the whole thing, and pretty soon, her and her family were about to move cross-country. So on her last day of work, she wrote this woman a two-page letter describing why Jesus means so much to her. And now Mary and her family move away, first to Virginia, then to Texas. Seven years later, Mary and her family moved back to the Boston area to go to grad school. And one day, Mary's at the mall where she hears, Mary, Mary. You know, it was her coworker, the nurse from years ago. She told Mary that she, that she now knows Jesus. She got baptized. She joined a church. And then all of a sudden, this woman digs into her purse, pulls out the letter, and says, it all started with this. You guys, you never know what Jesus is going to do, when and how he's going to change people's hearts, but let's be people who make it easier, who clear a path for people to worship and encounter Jesus. I mean, let's point them to him and let him take care of the rest. And y'all, there's good reason. There's good reason why we're talking about hospitality and inviting people to church. You know, there's good reason why we're talking about being people who make it easier, people who clear a path for other people to worship and experience Jesus. And that's because it's the very thing, the very thing that Jesus did for you and me. And here's what I mean. I want you to see one more thing in this passage, and it means we have to see this passage in light of the entire story of the Bible. I mean, have you ever seen how beautiful our city is from 10,000 feet? I want you to see something. You know, throughout his life, Jesus has said crazy things like, I am able to destroy this temple of God and rebuild it in three days. You know, for some reason, this guy is calling himself the temple. And now on a Monday morning, Jesus comes in and clears the temple. And four days later on Good Friday, Jesus dies on a cross. And there's this sneaky little verse where Jesus takes his final breath where it says, in the curtain of the temple, the curtain of the entrance of the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was, was torn in two. I mean, y'all, what's happening here? Well, it's this. Jesus is God in, God in the flesh, the presence of God himself who walks into the temple on Monday and on Friday stands in as our priest and becomes the anointing sacrifice. Y'all, when Jesus 
flips over the tables of the money changers, when he, when he clears the benches of those selling doves, he is literally and symbolically putting an end to the temple and everything that it stands for. Priests, sacrifices, all of it. It's over. Y'all, to quote an old Queen Latifah movie, Jesus is literally and symbolically bringing down the house. Y'all, do you think you need a temple to worship God? You all, Jesus is the temple. Y'all, the presence of God has nothing to do with architecture or geography. You know, the presence of God has nothing to do with a sanctuary or community center or 1717 Bellevue Way. Y'all, Jesus is the temple. Y'all, do you think you need a priest to worship God? I mean, Jesus is the priest. Do you think you need to confess to a priest in order to be right with God? I mean, do you think you need a priest in order to connect with or pray to God? You all know Jesus is the great high priest. Y'all, do you think you need to offer sacrifices to worship God? No, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. I mean, do you think you need to sacrifice in order to be accepted or loved by God? I mean, do you continue to preach to yourself and tell yourself just to be better? I mean, do you think you need to sacrifice in order, in order to cover over past sins to move past your guilt and shame? Y'all, Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice. And then check this out. Years later, as Paul is reflecting on all this, he even ups the ante a little bit. He says that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, this is so crazy, you and I, the church, become the temple of God, God's presence living in us. Y'all, the presence of God is found in the people of God. I mean, this is why we tell stories about how Jesus is moving in us. This is why you see people's pictures and stories hanging on the walls. You know, this is why we care about new members. I mean, this is why we talk about a movement, not a monument. We gather and scatter. We come in. We go out. We are a people on mission for God, and it's all because of Jesus. He is the new temple. He is the great High priest, he is the atoning sacrifice. Now I'll finish with this. Someone recently showed me a clip from The View, the daytime talk show. So yes, if you are counting, that is Queen Latifah and The View in a span of about two minutes. But y'all, to my defense, I apparently also read GQ. Anyway, there was this moment on The View where the hosts on the show were arguing about, you know, who knows what. And all of a sudden, one of the hosts who's a Christian starts sharing the gospel with them. And one of the others looked at her confused and said, wait, what? Y'all, she had never heard it before. I mean, this woman thought she had, but what she was hearing in that moment was altogether different. And y'all, there are so many folks out there who would have that same reaction. Wait, what? Y'all, so what if we were people who helped clear a path for others to know and experience the real true Jesus. Because what binds us all together, this gospel that we proclaim is altogether different. Because what kind of religion is this? What kind of religion is this? There's no temple, there's no priests, there's no sacrifices. It's all about a person. It's all about Jesus. I mean, what kind of religion is this? And y'all, it's no kind of religion at all. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your boldness. We thank you for your courage. We thank you for the ways in which 
you have taken down the barriers, that you have cleared a path between us and God. Lord, help us to know that. Help, that, help us to move that from head to heart so that we may be your people wherever you have called us to be. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.